0: Everyone and welcome to episode twenty-six of the M M&M and M podcast. I am Michael Gallagher. I'm program director of the MSC in Digital Education at House and as always, I'm joined by Miles Blaney.
1: Hi, everybody. I'm I'm Miles Blaney. I'm a service manager in uh, digital learning applications and media in learning, teaching, web, and information services at the University of Edinburgh. And
0: we're lucky enough today to be joined, like truly lucky, to be joined by uh, Dr. Claire Anderson. And I was wondering, Claire, if you might be able to introduce yourself.
2: Yes, absolutely. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm Claire Anderson. I'm Senior Lecturer in Islamic Art uh, in the School of History of Art in the Edinburgh College of Art at the <laughs> university. <laughs> A mouthful. Yeah, we- <laughs>
0: I, I do that with mine, too. It's like, I'm at the Center for Research in Digital Education. I'm a lecturer in digital education at Maury House School of Education. He you know, just goes on and on.
1: A, it, it makes your email signature look brilliant. Yeah, like, just wow, little... all these lines. <laughs> what do they mean? That's what, that's, what, that's what we're about in
0: academics. That's what we go for. Hmm. Um, so uh, we're lucky enough like, to have Claire on today for a number of different reasons. Like, number one, I'm sure she's an extraordinarily busy person uh number two is that the background is is some of the more uh, uh some of the more interesting things that we've sort of uncovered before not uncovered it's not the best word but we sort of researched before a little bit uh we'd love to talk to her about that and and i think it sort of captures a few of the themes that we've been trying to explore since we've been back from that little hiatus uh around uh you know the idea of using open and oer and diversifying some of uh, some of the materials that we sort of hold to hold as a university to be dear. So this is an experiment. Uh, I think a lot of the work that Glare does is very emblematic of some of these themes that we're sort of pursuing in this podcast. So we're really fortunate to have her with us. And I think just from my own take, and I think also from, from the podcast, uh, you know, the background that we've done before on the podcast, it's this link between the digital uh, to the visual so explicitly that I think we're, on our program in particular, we're very interested in multimodality, This, you know, using the digital to express across uh, a, a, a range of modes, the visual being one. And I think Claire's work does that so explicitly, I'm just really keen to talk to her about it. So without further ado, we'll just jump right into the questions. And I think the big project that we wanted to talk to you about uh, was the Digital Lab for Islamic Visual Culture and Collections. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what that is.
2: Yes, absolutely. So um, the digital lab is brand new. Uh, I founded it this year. Um, and I founded it something I've been thinking about for uh, for quite a while and um, telling my colleagues that I, I think uh, it needs to exist and, and for particular reasons that we uh, can talk about. Um, but basically, I have founded it because I feel Um, There's a need to transform the way um, that we research and teach in my particular corner of the field, uh, which is Islamic art history. Um, And the way we can do that is to engage with broader digital initiatives that have been going on in art history uh, and going on in the humanities and the sciences, but which haven't quite made their way into the way we teach and practice um, our craft as Islamic art historians. So I founded the lab to be uh, particularly focused on digital visualization and mixed reality technologies uh, that I would like to apply to teaching and learning and to research Um, and so it's it's a bit aspirational at this point because it is brand new but it did give me um, a a sensible way i think to create an umbrella for a lot of different collaborations that i have going on across the university and also with colleagues um, in the uh, museum world so um, specifically at the national uh, national museums of scotland
0: Interesting. Do you, so. I, that's a that's a good segue to a question here too. So you naturally sort of move between these spaces, these museum spaces, into the university spaces, the Edmo College of Art, etc. Do you see any, uh, any? Do you see any difficulties in those movements, or is that just a natural kind of pairing in how you do your work?
2: Hmm. I do, I, I think it's challenging, absolutely, um, but it is, uh, it's, it's really intrinsic to the way I do my work. Um, I was trained as a historian of Islamic architecture and urbanism, but, uh, but from the beginning, because of the research that I was doing, uh, which was on medieval Islamic villas in Spain and their significance to, to court culture. Um, it meant that from the beginning of my work as an Islamic art historian, I was bringing things together that had traditionally been studied um, separately. You know, so bringing uh, architectural spaces, landscape spaces together with, uh, op- you know, objects, um, furnishings, uh, interior uh, interior decoration, but also things like musical performance, uh, poetic performance. So you know things that were happening um, in terms of the society of Islamic Spain in those um, in those spaces and with those objects. So because I've had to um, bring lots of different strands together, I think it just feels uh, natural as a way for working um, for me in a way that it might not feel perhaps quite so natural to someone who's maybe focused on one particular medium.
1: And, mm. and, and see, like um, when you're talking there about bringing all those strands together, has, is, has all those strands, you know, is all that information, has that been available and accessible or, or, or open? Or is it, you know, having to search and try and knock on doors and, and get access to it?
2: no it, it it's really taken me um, uh, a career so far I think <laughs> you know to um, to to bring you know to, to do the groundwork to bring those things together to understand what needs to be brought together and why and then to go out and and find you know knock on doors as you say get people on board uh, mm-hmm. and start to bring those things together in a way that um, you know, that makes sense and gives people an idea of, you know, why this is significant, why, why it's interesting and, and why it's important.
1: And, and see that, that idea, because when you're talking about that, that space, so that mixed reality, you know, that, that mixed reality technologies, that, you know, that immersive experience, we're talking about, you know, virtual reality, you know, augmented reality as well. Is that one of the, the pipe dreams to do?
2: Absolutely, yes. Augmented reality, virtual reality, immersive reality. I mean, all all the things that could come under um, mixed reality uh, technologies are are things that I'm interested in applying and working with.
0: Interesting. Just to jump in real quick, Miles. but uh, I, I... I can easily see when you describe that glare, I can easily see the applications for teaching. Right. So you can see Mm -hmm. this um, again, like Miles said, this like immersive experience. And you can see particularly for, I think, knowing your your background in architecture in particular, you can see the the dimensional uh, kind of immersiveness that would come about from using AR and, and VR and these sorts of things. So I see that. How does it impact the way you research? So you mentioned research as well. How would use it, using these technologies sort of impact research?
2: hmm yes. So let me, um, let me use the example um, uh, of the research that I was doing about 10 years ago. This was for my first book, which was on these um, Islamic villas in Spain and court culture. And as part of my research process, this was when I um, first started to experiment with 3D modeling and immersive technologies. Um, And it was through that process. So what we did uh, was to was to um, bring in a 3D model uh, of the villa that I was looking at, a 10th century villa. Um, We imported that into the Unity um, game engine, which at the time was was quite new. I mean, I I didn't know anyone who was doing that kind of work uh, at the time. And it was. A wonderful experiment that I was doing with a computer science colleague um, and you know thinking through questions that would be interesting to me as a historian of art and architecture and to him as a computer scientist who's you know playing around with immersive technologies but that process actually made me uh, think differently about the, you know, the things that I was concerned about as a historian of architecture and art and a social historian. Um, and it wasn't until I was able to experience these spaces in that immersive way, thanks to, you know, using uh, a game engine, that I was able to come to some, you um, you know some understanding of the functions of this medieval space. In in that mm. case, particularly as a space for musical performance, um, and gendered musical performance in the in the medieval period, I wouldn't. I'm I'm absolutely convinced I would not have come to those realizations if it hadn't been for uh, the process of experiencing. That space, uh, and I was also trying to bring objects uh, into that space and kind of get a sense of uh, a total environment. If I hadn't gone through that process, uh, I wouldn't have come to those realizations in my scholarly work. So I think mm-hmm. um, the reason I'm I'm so keen on immersive technologies is because I I know that um, the potential that they have for changing my analytical processes as a researcher um, so it's it's almost as if for me the uh, the process the process is more important than the product uh, or the outcome although I love the outcome as well because then you know you can share it so you know for instance being able to share that um, this was the digital munya project I think mm. that, uh, that you that you might have seen on my website you know for instance all of the research that went into that, once we made it openly available, you know, on the Unity sort of online um, platform, I could do something like show it to my, you know, 12-year-old son at the time. And, and mm-hmm. he, could, he could experience that space mm-hmm. and, and ask questions about it and get curious about it. Uh, and so could anybody else, right? And that, that was quite exciting to me.
0: Is, so Claire, is that how you see so you when you describe that digital munya project, you were talking about you know this line between teaching and entertainment. How did you see the entertainment part? Or did you see any real any real distinction necessarily? Would they naturally overlap this teaching and, and entertainment?
2: I think that there is um, an important way in which they can overlap. And this is something that, um, that I've been quite enthusiastically talking about. Um, and I'm involved in the History and Games Lab uh, at the university uh, as well. Um, because I think that, um, you know, let me start off by saying that uh, if, if we think about a game like Assassin's Creed, uh, and the immersive environment that you know the original Assassin's Creed game um, provided for um, 12th century Damascus and Jerusalem, for instance. I don't know. Is is Assassin's Creed a, a game that either of you are I, familiar with? You yeah, know, yeah. My,
1: my son is. Uh, my son but, has played, it and I played it a small well,
0: bit. I was going to say I don't I don't have children, but I've certainly played it.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so. It's, it's a lie. Yeah, I yeah, think yeah. I I think I played more games before I had my son than uh, than, <laughs> than I have ever since. But um, but absolutely, you know, I I um, I think that's a wonderful example of how you can have um, a, a game a game that plays with history. I mean, I'm using history very loosely when Mm -hmm. I talk about Assassin's Creed, but I think you can't deny that the immersive environment that the game designers uh, created when they were evoking this, um, you know, these environments of the medieval Islamic Mediterranean are incredibly compelling. And I think the power of games is that they have the potential to, to draw people in, to draw people in who, you know, who may not want to sit down and read the latest, you know, scholarly uh, <laughs> volume on, say, 12th century Damascus, right? But, but they can be drawn in by that immersive world and, and by a story, right, by an interesting story. And it sparks a curiosity um, in the same way that a great film or a great um, work of fiction might also draw you in and spark a curiosity. Um, it might educate you. It might uh, give you a desire to know more. And I see games playing that role um, today, and I think Assassin's Creed is, is a really good example um, but there, of course, as you know, there are many games that are doing this with history, and I think to me that's what's very compelling. And I, you know, I think about my son who also played Assassin's Creed, and and something that he said to me, which uh, really stuck with stuck with me, which is that you know playing those games gave him the opportunity to be the active agent, right? Rather than being a passive recipient as you are when you're reading a book or watching a film, you're passively taking it in. But when you're in a game and you're in that environment, you become part of part of the action. And I think that's incredibly compelling for education.
1: I think that's, uh, I, I would say that as, um, as a gamer, but also somebody who, Struggles to read a lot of information sometimes. Um, being in that kind of environment where you can you know, see a lot more or be immersive, it, be immersed in it is really interesting. But and and seeing regards to uh, like something like playing like Assassin's Creed, and, and I was speaking to Michael about this the other day when we started when I started having a re read about. Um, it's really interesting to think about how that environment that's been created by people, how accurate. It can be or mm-hmm. how they can retell history in a way as well so um, thinking about you know my son plays um, obsessed with world war ii um, mm. and and the games that he plays and the storylines that they tell it's it's interesting to see how maybe they're not very accurate sometimes um, mm-hmm. and the things that they use in the in, in those spaces as well might not be correct um, mm-hmm. I don't know whether when you've seen Assassin's Creed where you thought, oh, hang on, that's not, that's not correct, that shouldn't be there, or maybe that can't be there.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes, I mean, you know, on the one hand, I, I appreciate that games are meant to be entertaining, right? So, uh, so I can suspend my, my uh, you know, my sort of historical, my historian beliefs to some extent um, in the interest of, of entertainment and, and playing with, with history as entertainment. But, um, but I think you're pointing to something really important, which is why I feel that uh, historians need to be talking to game designers and game designers need to be talking to historians. And that is especially um, especially when I see the way that Islamic uh, civilization, society, Uh, are brought into games. Uh, The the danger of that is that um, those conversations aren't taking place, I think. And all of the excellent work that has gone on in uh, the academy isn't making its way into the game, um, into game developers and, and the stories and the narratives that they're creating. And instead, what I see are, um, you know, games that are maybe inadvertently rehashing, um, you know, very problematic, outdated stereotypes, problematic narratives. Um, and, and this is a problem because we don't want to replicate those outdated, problematic um, ways of thinking about, uh, in, in my case, Islamic civilization. We don't want to replicate those things in this important medium that is drawing people's attention that that they are whether you know explicitly or or implicitly learning from we don't want to rehash those things so i think it's there's opportunity there um, but there's also there's also some danger but i think that's why it's so key for historians to to pay attention uh and to be involved and to be willing to to get involved
1: so and that and that that kind of touches on that what we've kind of talked about the barriers and and about the those challenges of uh, interdisciplinary work
2: mm-hmm. um
1: do you know what I mean which is kind of key to to be able to have those conversations isn't it to make sure that you know like you're saying there um things are presented the correct way the you know there, there is this ongoing conversation between you know what you're doing. And other areas that maybe designing things as well. Can I? I, I just I, I know we've already kind of we've skimmed past it as well. I just want to say that for your for the um for the Manure project, one of the things I really liked is is that you actually like put furniture into the spaces to kind of give the kind of context of size as well.
2: hmm mm-hmm. Yes, that was one of my key objectives. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, I mean, it's such a simple point, isn't it? But um, but when you're looking at you know, say, a beautiful museum photograph of an object or a piece of furni- furniture, You, I don't know, I, I can't quite understand, you know, the scale of yeah. these things. And so the Digital Munya project for me was was really all about how can I understand the scale of architecture, the scale of furnishings and objects, and the visuality of how all of these things come together. And, you know, these technologies give us a way to do that now that, that we just didn't have before.
1: And, and can so, I, and I know, uh, I, for me, you know, I know we don't have this question listed, so I'm going off off the, off the agenda slightly. But is there, for those kind of mixed technologies, those the technologies that you're playing with now, is there like, do you have like a dream scenario where you could say, if you're teaching, you would say, hey, this is what we would do people came into the room and say, well, this is what we're going to do today. You know, is there a dream scenario for you that you could see maybe in a couple of years time?
2: Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And a dream scenario for me would be able, would be uh, being able to take students into, into these um, spaces um, and immersively allowing them to, to have um To be able to look to be able to to feel so you know using um for instance something like uh, haptic gloves so that not only would they be able to see uh immersively to see spaces and to see objects uh, and and how those two things are coming together and interacting together but even to be able to pick up and manipulate you know look at an object turn Mm. it around um, I mean, Islamic art is 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 the art of the object par excellence. <laughs> so, so for for my um, my area of the field, this is hugely important. Being able to, you know, to look at something, to manipulate it, to examine it, turn it around, feel the the weight of it, the texture of it, these are um, absolutely central to, to understanding these objects. So that's, um, that's my dream scenario, that it's, it's visual, but it actually engages, um, engages all the senses that would have been engaged if we're trying to understand these spaces and objects as they, as they functioned in the past and, and how and why they were meaningful.
0: So I guess returning to the interdisciplinary question and noting that your work takes you in, you're you're interdisciplinary by nature. You're working in these different disciplines within the academy, but you're also working with cultural heritage institutions, galleries, museums, these sorts of things. The engagement with technology in particular, does that involve uh, an engagement with the commercial sector? Or do you see that all happening kind of in the university itself? Say, for example, with computer science you know, faculty or something along those lines. Do you see, like, naturally an engagement into commercial sectors or technological sectors, I suppose?
2: Mm. Yes, I, I do. I do. And I, I think that this kind of work should be happening inside the academy for sure. And that's, you know, that's where um, we're going to be able to, you know, to push the research um, and to uh, improve teaching uh, as well. So that's hugely important but for me um, you know at this point in my career i I feel so strongly that all of the good work that happens in universities and in the academy we've got to we've got to do better at getting this out into the world um Mm. and you know sometimes um you know sometimes um business entrepreneurship uh you know those those sorts of environments have a way, I think, of, of making uh, this knowledge um, significant, meaningful, accessible in ways that we can learn from inside the academy. Uh, mm. So I'm, I'm happy to work with, um, you know, a, a broad variety of people um, and, and to just see what, what, can, what different skills, you know, do different types of organizations um, have that, that can be useful in getting this knowledge that's that's otherwise tends to be locked up in the academy, getting it out there so that as many people as possible can access it and and benefit from it.
0: That's interesting. Do you see the digital lab servicing some of this function at all, or this idea of you're you're developing you know this cluster, this network of people working towards these same kinds of of issues, but you're also developing potentially. The technological capacity to sort of express these things, or do you, mm-hmm. do you see that happening a little bit in different locations?
2: Mm-hmm. Um, I do hope that the digital lab will be able to will be able to play a role in bridging maybe what's going on in the academy um, and bridging what's happening in industry. So, you know, for me, I'm I'm absolutely um, uh, interested in making connections to. Um, you know, to the gaming industry. I mean, as you both know, Scotland has a wonderful uh, gaming um, gaming community and gaming industry. Um, and I think a lot of these uh, these gaming industries, I mean, certainly Ubisoft, you know, uh, mm, yeah. uh, make Assassin's Creed. You know, one of the things that um, that is a spinoff from the popularity of Assassin's Creed, Um, are their discovery tours, you know? So, so here we have a video game developer that has created what they see as potentially an educational resource that does harness what they bring to the table, which is the ability to make these incredible immersive environments. Mm. Um, And, and they see a perceived um, desire um, from educators, from students to use that technology for education. And I think that um, you know the more we can find those connections uh, and get some of uh, some of the knowledge that's been going on in the academy out to a broader public, I'm all for it. I, I think that, um, that those connections and conversations need to be happening. And I hope that the digital lab could be one way of doing it. And, and that's, you know, one of my partnerships, as I mentioned, is with the history and games lab. Um, mm. And so I'm, I'm exploring ways to, to do just that. Um, uh, and we work, working on a game myself right now. Um, oh, really? Yeah, that brings together two of my, my things that I'm uh, quite enthusiastic about, which is uh, oh. Vikings and the 11th century Islamic Mediterranean. <laughs>
0: Oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yes. you know, we, we, we were having, Miles and I were having conversations before this podcast, Claire. We, we thought maybe we would spring a question on you. I was like, when is it available and how much will it cost?
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, but the, if you're interested, this, this game, which is called um, A Viking in the Sun, Harold uh, okay. Hardrada in the medieval Mediterranean. Um, The first the first product of that game is uh, a war game. Uh, It's with the publisher now. And uh, the game is being launched in September at the end of September at the National Armory Museum in Leeds. Um, Oh, wow. So I can I can send you both uh, information about that. Um, Please do. Yeah, this is, this is the work of my colleague, uh, Dr. Gianluca Racagni in the History and Games Lab. He's the founder of that lab, but, um, but I'm, I'm um, happy to, to be working with him, bringing my expertise on Islamic history and visual culture to what they're trying to do in that game, which oh. is to talk about cultural contact in the um, medieval Mediterranean, in this case, a Viking who, uh, who travels in the Islamic Mediterranean. Um, on wow. the eve of the Crusades.
0: Well, I'm sold. I'm,
2: I'm <laughs> it sounds great, doesn't it? It, it, does.
1: It, 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 does. it does. I'll be there. It sounds like a Netflix <laughs> series, to tell you the truth. It so sounds pretty it awesome. Does, yeah. It sounds wonderful. I, I think I want to binge uh, it, it. Uh, <laughs> you know, it. It was an interesting...
0: Uh, I, again, I think we, we, we'll be there. Miles and I will be two of your first customers. Oh, sure. excellent, but, excellent. <laughs> but, but, just Excellent. it's a natural kind of transition into... The, probably the one of the last questions we have is around... Like, how do you see, uh, because some of this is this quasi kind of academic commercial kind of relationship, this kind of partnership developing this content. How do you see OER sort of sitting in this open, this idea of open educational resources sitting within that kind of context? Do you, do you you see it as an imperative or is it, is it something that can work naturally with commercial kind of uh, relationships or, or how do you sort of see the OER
2: well, I, I see the OER as really, um, really crucial to achieving that aim that I was talking about of getting knowledge out of the academy and making it as accessible uh, as possible. Mm. Um, and, you know, in my own teaching, I mean, this, this relates back to, you know, the project that, that Ewan helped me with, um, you know, doing the Wikipedia project with my students in which we were trying to improve um, publicly accessible knowledge on Wikipedia about uh, the particular topic that that my course was on, which was um, science, magic, and visual culture, um, Islamic visual culture. So I think those are are absolutely crucial. Um, And open tools are something that have been part part of my formation. I mean, 20 years ago when I was first starting as a doctoral student at MIT, my, um, my uh, RA-ship was to get uh, something called ARCnet up and running. Uh, mm-hmm. ARCnet was a, a, an online web repository of visual um images, but also other types of digitized content, all of it focused on Islamic art and architecture. Mm. Um, And if you're thinking about, you know, this was 21 years ago, this was before the rise of social media, before the invention of Facebook. I mean, at the time, it it was very, very new, and there was nothing like it. Um, and I see OER resources or OER, I see those as absolutely fundamental today to, to getting knowledge out of the academy and making really substantive knowledge um, available. I think this is absolutely crucial because it addresses absences that are present in the digital realm. And this is something I feel very strongly about, if we're, whether we're looking at um, you know cultural heritage as it exists and is being created online now, or whether we're looking at something like, um, you know, gaming, there are some absences there that I think we can address. Uh, there, there is a low profile of medieval Islamic sites and objects. I can tell you in the digital cultural landscape, um, and um, good quality, you know, uh, history content in the gaming industry. So those are just two examples. Mm. Um, But yes, I I think those are fundamental and things like, you know, Wikipedia, Wikimedia. um, These are playing such an important role. And uh, so this is why I want to bring them into my classroom and have students working with them uh, so that we can, we can take some of what we're privileged to have access to within an institution like the University of Edinburgh, but make some of that as much as possible available to um, the broadest audience who wants, to, who wants to learn, who is interested to learn about it.
0: Excellent. Thank you so much, Claire. That was wonderful
2: absolutely
1: i think that sounds absolutely amazing I'm about trying to make this I, accessible and open um absolutely and We that, sorry miles
0: just to yeah just to jump in but glare we actually on our program teach a course on uh game-based you know digital game-based learning but it's more about it's like uh implications for for specifically for like the broader field of education and these sorts of things
2: mm-hmm. i'm gonna
0: see if I, we'll see if we can work in the the Viking in the sun into that, into that oh, mix. fabulous. <laughs> sometime soon, sometime soon. I'll pitch it to the course organizer and see what they say.
2: <laughs> oh, sounds great. Uh,
0: I,
1: I also think that what you were talking about as well, about that kind of that augmented reality experience of people coming in and touching and feeling, feeling the history in a way, you know what I mean? Interacting with it sounds absolutely brilliant. Um, hmm. And I don't know if you've seen like on Microsoft's Halo and there's other applications coming out. Which are look really interesting for the coming years. So hopefully, hopefully, it's not too far away.
2: Hmm. No, I haven't seen. I don't think I've seen those. So I'd I'd be interested to know more about that. I shall
1: I shall ping you after this.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. No, I I think that um, that engaging all of those different senses is is important uh, to me, and you know, one that we haven't talked so much about. Um, you know, is is the audio, the audio component of spaces as well, and things that happen within spaces. So, you know, I've, I've talked about musical performance, for instance, in the case of my villas, musical and poetic performances. Um, and I think this is where, you know, this is where things like Unity or other game engines, those kinds of immersive environments, really have the um, the potential to to give us some, some wonderful ways to play with, to experiment with experiencing the past. And of course, this is something um, that my, my colleague, Dr. James Cook in, uh, in ECA has been doing um, with recreating lost spaces from Scottish history. So I think he's, he's been working with um, using gaming software in exactly that kind of way, bringing all of these things together to create a sensory experience of the past. And that's just hugely exciting.
0: No, I think that's Excellent. great. Thank you, Claire. Thank you so much, Claire. That was just wonderful. And uh, just everything sort of resonated in what we do and what Miles and I have been talking about in this podcast is really, you know, this natural kind of partnership between, you know, uh, you know academics and, and, and professional you know, like technologically skilled people, sort of like Miles, and if you put mm-hmm. yourself together, you can have these conversations, have meaningful conversations, and come up with something pretty nice.
2: Absolutely, yeah. And, and to go back to, you know, I think Miles was asking about the challenges of of interdisciplinary work, and I think that's that's the challenge and also the um, the promise of interdisciplinary work is when you can get, you know, get lots of people together who can bring their different skills their different, um, and their different um, knowledge bases together to ask different questions and, and to put all of those perspectives and skills together. That's where it gets really exciting.
0: Ag- agreed. Completely agree. And I think that's probably a good, a good time to sort of pause and stop and sort of wind this up a little bit. But uh, again, I just want to say thank you so much, Claire, for your time. I know how busy you are. So thank you again.
2: Well, it's been a pleasure, and so good to um, to meet you both, and, and to hear about uh, all the exciting work that that you both are doing as well. Uh,
0: thanks, and uh, Miles, you have a
1: great day as well. Yeah, thank you, Galer. I think we'll we'll be in we'll be in touch after. I think it's really interesting yeah, what you're doing. But yeah, thanks for your time today.
2: Sounds great. Thank you, Miles.
1: All right. Take care, everybody. Bye bye.
2: Oh, take care. Bye bye.